There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... <laughs> Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson sitting across the table from me today, uh, surprisingly so because I was throwing her belongings earlier in the office. Aaron Sorensen is yeah, here. That was rude. <laughs> uh, Jeremiah Searles, former Nebraska offensive lineman, will be on the podcast a little bit later to talk about the Ohio State game. Um, I've got an Ohio State writer joining the podcast, Carolyn Rice the ozone um to preview the ohio state side of things um aaron you're up first yay thank you for for not firing me it's fine it's fine it's just i need you to work this weekend so we'll you know talk about your job on sunday (laughs) (laughs) just kidding you constantly talk when i'm trying to transcribe and then you were like, you just You were giving it. me such a you hard time, but it. there was a period of time where it was just Greg talking at you, and you didn't and give him as nearly so as hard And I was trying so hard to say time. something, and Greg kept talking. But you only were getting after me about I it. Was, I was two seconds away from throwing my hat at Greg, though. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I just, Greg, the, the stuff with Greg could be saved until once the NBA season starts and his Lakers ultimately mm-hmm. implode. And I can make fun of him then. So I'm like, I got to save that stuff. For the record, I was trying to talk to you about something like legitimate. I was trying to talk to you about a player and something we were discussing about said player and trying to understand something. It wasn't like I was just like talking about like if it's going to storm this weekend, although that's probably a valuable conversation as well. Well, don't be vague. We can talk about Barrett Pickering. I'm not. We don't don't have to talk in specifics because nobody knows what's what's happening with Barrett Pickering. Who knows? Um, he might be dying. It's no, funny. he's not. Don't even make that joke. It's funny because I began... I just scolded myself. I think two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, I began the podcast with Greg talking about punters. So it would make sense that we begin this podcast talking about kickers. Big games, and we open well, this with special teams talk. let's just read the quote that you transcribed from Frost, because... He, following Thursday's practice, was asked about the kicking situation once again, which is sort of how everyone and gets around. Well, be, well, I couldn't tell if he was laughing because he was laughing at the kicking situation or if it was like another attempt at getting an injury update and he doesn't like to give injury updates. Well, I think probably a little of both. It might be. But anyway, this is what he had to say about Barrett Pickering. It hasn't been very good. The statistics bear that out. Certainly not something we anticipated. If we would have anticipated it, we would have done more to try and address it beforehand. But we're hoping Barrett gets sooner rather than later. And in the meantime, we're going to do the best we can. So that's not like we hope Barrett gets healthy. That's like we hope Barrett gets his act together and comes back to play. Like, I think Frost completely hates all of his specialists right now. Yeah, Which is so, it's not great It's not right a now. good situation to be in. I, I'm curious. Um, do you think Matt Waldock, the guy that they added from the club soccer team? God. Well, wow, blown up. Well, we went a couple weeks without that happening. Um, do you think Matt Waldock, the kid from the, the club soccer team, makes an appearance this weekend? No. Why? 
I don't know. I have no reason. I have no idea. Okay, so I want to kind of... I mean, here's the thing. When you say make an appearance, is he going to be on the sideline in a uniform? Probably, because there's no number reason that he can't be. Like, sure. you can have him realistically... Okay, so, uh, so will he play? Sideline. Will he, mm, will I don't he feel step like he, between the lines? No. Okay. Uh, the reason I don't think that he will is because... Yeah, I don't know. Frost is in a really, really interesting situation with the kicking, like the whole kicking situation. He is just in, I don't even know how to describe what is happening with this for Nebraska other than it's incredibly frustrating. But okay, you're 15, like you're 15 to 20 yards out. You can probably trust Lane McCallum to make that kick. You could probably trust Isaac, but probably McCallum more. I'm saying pro- maybe, like it just depends. You're starting to get out to like 35 yards out, and like, do you trust any of them to make? I don't that think kick? he trusts anybody from 20. No, I think once you hit about really 20, 25, position to be in. So I think he's probably more preparing for a lot of like, you know, going for it on a fourth down if you have to, or going for two, you know, going for two if you don't think the extra point can be made. There is a lot of things that are going through his head that have nothing to do with whether that 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 new walk-on kicker from the club team can actually play because i mean he's still like here's the thing soccer players have some incredible legs as well they can kick a football they can kick a football if they it's kind of like if you can dodge a wrench you can dodge a ball they can probably kick a football pretty well considering they can kick a soccer ball pretty well it's but it's different different. right that's what i'm saying they've got the strength but I'm saying they've got the strength. Yeah. And and this kid had a, a um, experience playing high school football. Right. It's just more, though, even with, like, the, the high school football is different than collegiate. I mean, even Lane McCallum talked about it. Even, heck, even Isaac Armstrong said, you know, I took – I did – I kicked when I was in high school as well. I, I'm familiar with that, but I haven't done it in a while. So it's not exactly like riding a bike. It's not like you just show up and you're like, oh, yeah, I can put – I can put this right between the goalposts. It's not quite that simple. Well, I want to I work backwards. I'm going to do the same thing with Jeremiah in a little bit. I want to work backwards because usually it goes where, like, we talk about keys to the game and, like, this mm-hmm. happens and this happens and how do you feel about this. And then we get to the end and it's like, here's a prediction. Let's, I don't have a Let's prediction. do the inverse of that. Do you think this game is close enough, long enough, to where a kicking situation matters? It could be. I. This is where we differ. Because I've got Nebraska winning. You do, but like I could see it being something where I don't have, yeah, I don't have Nebraska winning this game. I don't really have a prediction, um, which uh, I'm trying so hard to think of what I, I don't know. Well, what do you what do you feel about this game? Number you don't not don't great. put a number to it. Why do you not feel great about this game? No, it's not that I don't feel. It's not that I don't feel great. I should probably. I should probably not phrase it that way. I think how I feel about this game, and I actually said this in a Q&A I did um, with 11 Warriors, is I I think this is something where Nebraska can make it interesting. At home, at night, there is, there is a lot of talent on this team. We've all sort of acknowledged that now. This team is far and above a better team than those of the past few years. I don't know if they'll be able to piece it all together and – a strong enough way and a perfect enough way to ultimately get the win but I do think I do think they have the potential to make it interesting so the the fact that I think it could be interesting is you know could they be in a situation where they're down by three and they need to kick a field goal to tie the game and 
take it to overtime or could they be in a situation where if they had just been able to kick a couple of field goals and not had to go for it on fourth down would they be winning that's reasonable to think could be possible this game could be close enough where they go for it on a fourth down don't get it and that fourth down ultimately could have been a field goal if they had their kicker and then those three points or six points or however many instances of that could have added up enough to put them in a reasonable position to win so I mean in that case I think I think it could matter um but I just I don't know I I need Nebraska to come out and show me that they belong that they belong in this conversation and so kind of what we were talking about before the podcast between you me and Greg is it's not that I don't have confidence in this Nebraska team but before I can really put like all my money down on it and be like they're gonna win outright I, I kind of need them to show me for to I would love to just be proven wrong I would love for them to come out and just like Frost said today take their take their swings and if he comes into the post-game press conference and calls me out by name and is like, hey, you didn't have confidence, then all right, I'll own that. But I just, I don't know, I'm just a little bit unsure of what I'm going to see from Nebraska on Saturday. Two things. One, I mentioned this off mic earlier. I want more than anything, if they win this football game, for Frost to have a, a, a list on his phone notes app of people that did not pick Nebraska, mm-hmm. people that picked Ohio State, and to walk into his Monday press conference and call those people out and like, you didn't pick us, 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 you were all wrong. He's not going to do it, but I want him to. Um, it'd be very entertaining. It'd be fantastic. The second thing, Frost sort of like was getting at that. Like, we were kind of talking, what do you make? Because after every Thursday when Frost talks, we're like, okay, do you think he was happy? Do you think he was upset? Do you think he thinks they had a good week of practice? Do you think he thinks they're not ready? Like, we, we always do this, like, overanalyzation of what he says and how he said it and, and the things So if that you're listening to this, Frost, we are dissecting your every, like, personality trait and yeah. the way that you speak. Every, like, every pregnant pause, every eye twitch, it's all getting overanalyzed. Mm-hmm. And and he, he talked about how, you know, Nebraska's – come a long way mm-hmm. but there's still a ways to go and this is it was there wasn't any like we have a, a good chance against this team like this is a game that we can win if we play correctly it was like this is a measuring stick game and we will see how we fare we'll see how far down the road we are which i thought was interesting because i mean clearly all of his comments this week about game day about this type of atmosphere about playing a, a team with stakes you know, like, I think this game has big stakes. I don't think this is, Frost made the comment that they have nothing to lose. I don't think that's true. I think there are stakes for this game. I think what he meant, As though, a, is they have nothing to lose in the sense of, like, what, why why not just go out there and just, like, play lights out? Because what do you have to lose yeah. in that sense? Like, I think that's what he meant. And I think that's honestly, in my opinion, a little bit about what's different between last year and this year. Last year's we have nothing to lose was, like, you literally have nothing to lose. Right. It was the difference between, like, a feel-good moment in a bad season and, like, a not having that moment like they weren't going to a bowl game either way no so it's like there was literally nothing on the table to lose this year i think when he says it it's more like okay you don't play well i what what do you have to lose right now other than just like maybe some some pride i just think it i'm trying to like some patience from the fan base yeah i think he's just trying to say it's a little bit more of like there's no reason for you to go out and play hesitant or play uptight because the expectations aren't there for you to win, so why why play without anything other than just like 
giving it all you can. Well, so this is what so I... So that's why I think they This is why it. I think this game is interesting. This is kind of the point that I was trying to get at. He, he Clearly, this is something that he wants to be a mainstay in future seasons. Mm-hmm. Clearly, like, like I included in a story that went live on Hale Varsity Thursday morning um, that game day has been at an Ohio State game every year since 2012. Wow, seriously? I even read that story and my brain didn't even process Yeah, that. so they've been at an Ohio State game every year since 2012. I didn't count Clemson or Alabama, but I assume it's similar. Mm-hmm. That is what Frost wants this to get to. And, and he, he sort of alluded to that on Monday when he was like, guys need to, to know how to handle this pressure and guys need to know how to play with the these kinds of distractions and these the, this kind of environment. So that's what he wants them to get to. But the thing that makes this so interesting to me is everybody kind of is in agreement that Nebraska is not at that point yet. Nebraska is not close to that point yet. So what what does this team look like this week when they have that opportunity? And like all the players have said, they have an opportunity to, to make a, a serious statement win about where this program is and, and where it's headed. But nobody, ex- nobody expects them to win. Yeah. So like what – I'm very curious what the team is going to look like to, to begin the game. Because last week, the 7 p.m. kick time, you know, you're waiting around all day. Nebraska came out sluggish. Maybe you can put that at the, the feet of the, the kick time. I don't know. But there's no excuse for starting sluggish this game. And I, I'm really curious to see if Nebraska comes out with its hair on fire. Yeah. Because of that. It, I mean, and they could. I don't know. They just need to show me that. Do you think... This is kind of the area that I've focused in on. Ohio State's defensive line is absurd. Chase Young is probably a top two or three pick in the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. I would say he's a top two or three pick in the NFL draft. They've got NFL guys all along their defense. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a a, a contest between mm-hmm. their defensive line and Nebraska's offensive line. Their defensive line is better. And Nebraska's going to have its hands full trying to keep yes. them at bay. That's why They're when Ryan to... Day was like, this is the best offensive line we've Well, it is. Faced. It was like, no, good... literally it is. Yeah. But it's like, have you seen your defensive line? Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, like, Nebraska's going to have its hands full. They're going to have to do some things to try to make it easier on themselves offensively. The other side of the ball, though, like, this is the conversation that we've had for the last three years since I've been here, is that Nebraska's not as big as these these great teams in the conference. Nebraska's not as strong as these teams. Nebraska just doesn't look like the same kind of football team mm-hmm. when they go head-to-head with these teams. I don't think that's going to be the case this year when you're talking about the defensive line against Ohio State's offensive line. Like, I think Nebraska can absolutely hold its own, more than hold its own. Darian Daniels is is that big of a force in the middle. The Davis brothers... Darian is amazing. Um, Darian's have completely been transformed fan- that line. Yeah, and the Davis brothers have been playing fantastic, and Nebraska has a really good three-man rotation going inside linebacker. Although they do need Mo Berry to, like, have a really solid game. I feel like Mo hasn't played to, like, the level that we know he can yet this season. He's been great, but I think there's another level for him that he hasn't gotten to quite yet. So it'll be interesting when you talk about a guy coming out with his hair on fire. I'm wondering if this is going to be that game for Mo Berry where he comes out because – he it's hard for me to say that because he he's played great but i just feel like he hasn't he hasn't been to the level where i'm like yep that's moberry he wasn't like the moberry of last year right and I, but that's 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 there he's a captain for a reason he works hard so i feel like there's at some point he's going to have this like light bulb go on and like he's just going to go and it could be this Saturday. He's been sick, and I think part of it is adjusting to a different. Yeah, he was pretty sick against Colorado. Colorado. So that that is a fair that is a fair point. I think that 
the reason I bring up the front seven, I think Nebraska's front seven against Ohio State's offensive line and run game is going to be one of the biggest indicators of who wins. Like, who wins that matchup? I think there's a pretty good chance that whichever team wins that matchup is winning the game. Is there a matchup that, that you look at and you're like, this is this is key to determining who's going to win this thing? I mean, I think going back to how the offensive line handles Ohio State's defensive line is going to be a huge key to this game um, because that that offensive line is going to ultimately determine whether um, whether Martinez is able to run this. We know that they they rely so heavily on tempo. We know that they rely so heavily on like being able to like have certain footwork, have certain movement, so that honestly if you want to not pinpoint one specific person because I don't think one person is make or break but I think a very important person is the type of game Cam Jurgens has um, Cam Jurgens has to play like he did against Northern Illinois he cannot play like he did against Colorado well no he played all right against Colorado it was all right there was a it little was, bit of regression last week yeah it was mostly it was mostly South Alabama and um, uh, Illinois, Illinois where you saw the most trouble with him and just that that's not to say that adrian can't be great if a snap is bad it's just if a snap is too high or a snap is not on target and adrian's eyes are now shifted away from looking forward and now he's trying to find the football it does change the way that they can play tempo it changes the way he can move um now with that said let's say cam jurgens has a Northern Illinois type game. He has a really great game. Um, Adrian also has to just play football. We've kind of been talking about a lot of people have been trying to break down what's wrong with Adrian Martinez. Is he too big? Did he gain too much weight so he's slow? Is he hesitant? Is he afraid to run? Is he this? Is he that? I know I brought up like he needs to have a little bit more of like a chip on his shoulder. Like there's so many things where people are pulling from all these like why, why, why? And honestly, Something that really hit me last week at Illinois, and this was sitting next to you and next to Brandon in the press box, and we it was right before halftime. It's like, okay, so something is – so you, you've, you've concluded, and not like you talking like greater you. You've concluded that something is not completely right with Adrian compared 2018 to 2019. What is it? We're not going to get that answer by asking a coach. Like, they're not going to tell you exactly what they're seeing because if they tell you that, then every team that they face is going to know exactly what's going on. So what is it? And I have really settled on the fact that I think Adrian is trying to play beyond what he needs to do. He just needs to play his ball. He just needs to play football. And he needs to be smart because it's like you keep saying he's missing guys that are open. He's missing the, the most obvious player. And it's like, but what if he's not missing them? What if he's completely seeing them? He's choosing to go the harder pass. He's choosing to go for the bigger pass because that's that's the that's the bigger move. He wants the forty point play. He wants the, the he wants the hero play. So I think if if Adrian can also walk into this game, you've got Cam Jurgens having a great game. He's he's snapping him perfect balls. If Adrian can just play his brand of football and not try to make things happen that don't need to necessarily happen right at that moment. It could be a really good day for the offense, but he's also going to have to be able to play with a little bit of pressure. Yeah, so I think the biggest thing that we saw in the second half, I was, I was going to ask you if you noticed any differences um, or, or, or kind of what you saw in the fourth quarter that led to Adrian being great. He was mm-hmm. great in the fourth quarter. But I think offensively Nebraska found some things in the second half against Illinois, and I think focusing in on giving the ball to Wanda Robinson 
um, and J.D. Spillman and, and when you have Maurice back, Maurice Washington, I think that will be really, really beneficial to Adrian. It'll simplify a lot of what he's trying to do because there's I, like for the last couple of weeks I've 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 written and I've said there's a lot of input right now when he's when he takes a snap and he drops back and he's trying to to assess everything in front of him. There's just a lot of input. If they can simplify it a little bit in the sense that he's not having to go through every single progression to find the open guy, where he's not having to say or think, okay, I want to go here. This is where I'm supposed to go, but Mike Williams is over here open. Do I get all the way over to him? Will he catch it if I do? Like, Because there was a lot of talk about getting more people involved. If they just go and say, JD's your first option. Robinson is your first option. Washington is your first option. Those guys, get them the ball as quickly as possible. Let them do what they're supposed to do. Then you're in a situation where, let's say JD's the first option on a play. Is he open? No. Is your check down open to Wanda Robinson? No. Okay, go. Take yeah. away all the extra stuff it needs and be, just it let needs him to be pretty simple. Let him play in more instinctually because when there's all that stuff, like the the Oliver Conley interview just keeps ringing in my head of like when he is asked to think too much, that's when things slow down and that's when mistakes start to happen. So take away some of the extra stuff, focus on your best players that are on the field, get them the ball. If you can't, and I think that's what he started to do in the well, third yeah. quarter and then into the fourth quarter. And the thing is, is like, Adrian is not too big. He has not gained so much weight that he's slow. That is not something that Ellis would allow, Dave Ellis. That is not something Duvall would allow. He is not at a body composition where he just cannot run the football. No, anymore. he had 118 yards. He had 100 yards yeah. in the second half against when, Illinois. Now, is he like Maurice Washington level fast? No. But when Adrian gets going, he gets going. And he, because he has that little bit of exercise, he's not exactly the easiest to take down. So there is value in him being the size that he is now. It's just for me, I think he he's hesitated too much to run mostly because I would agree. He's overthinking it, and by the time he can run, by the time he has made the decision, I should just take off, either, either the gap he had is now closed or he isn't going to get as much as he could have if he would have just gone three seconds sooner it has to be fast they talk about tempo they talk about speed this offense has to operate fast every second you lose because a decision is having to be made or too much thinking is having to be made or a snap is put into the wrong place or whatever else is going on that is valuable currency for this team you don't have that kind of time that's not how a scott frost offense works you do not have that extra time in the pocket to sit back and think about what can I do here? So I would agree with you. I think simplifying would definitely help him, but it's also him getting comfortable with his options. And I that's that's another thing where I, I think is what's happening is he's trying to force things he doesn't need to because he's trying to he's trying to do the hero play sometimes where it's like your option was right there right in front of you. I think you. there's a little bit of lack of trust in some of the, the other guys that haven't produced or somebody – that maybe gets a ball thrown to him and lets it go uh, right between well, yeah, his arms. Well, yeah, because there were some, there some drops where it's like, yeah. that wasn't on Adrian at all. He put it right on the money in yeah. some cases, and the person, it just goes out of their hands. It's like, well, dude, I'm not going to keep throwing you the ball, and you just not even, like, 
Yeah, he had some bad throws that J.D. Spielman somehow caught by an act of God. But, like, he has some really solid throws that go right through the hands of his receivers. Stop making his receivers climb the ladder over the middle. That's something that you can't keep doing. You get your guys killed. Um, The other thing. He and and J.D. had to have had a very stern talk. I'm sure J.D. had a heart-to-heart with him. Like, dude, stop it. (laughs) Please stop hanging out to dry. Um, The other thing is, like, defenses are keyed in on him like as much as we as we thought that davion taylor colorado quote where it's like adrian we we feel like if we make him pass that's what he's weak at like as much as we thought that was crazy and it, it is, was still it crazy is. the it fact is. that like the but one that thing is, you thought like if you made him pass i'm like dude but that is what every single defense this season is going to do to adrian martinez it's going to be a ton of containment they're going to have guys that are either spying or they're going to have edge rushers that are more focused on containing him inside the pocket than they are pressuring him and giving him avenues to escape a lot of it is make adrian beat you with his arm because you saw it against colorado some of those throws weren't there you saw it against south alabama some of the throws he wasn't making yeah some of his throw but that doesn't mean he's a bad passer no i'm not saying he's a bad passer i know and to be fair honestly we should probably i should probably not be so hard on that quote because it was a stupid quote it was a dumb quote but they did the same thing to mo barry's quotes and that i don't think that probably was his intention between a rock and a hard place teams are going to choose to allow adrian to throw the ball over allowing him to run on them because he is more dangerous in the read option game on the ground than he is throwing the football. That's just what he's put on tape so far. Is that you are, well, probably not more likely to turn him over because he's got like five fumbles so far to begin the season. But um, um, do you think that this defense has any any realistic chance of, of not shutting down Ohio State's offense, but slowing Ohio State's offense down enough to where um, this is a, a competitive game, this is a game that Nebraska has a chance to win? Yeah, I do. My question, though, for the defense is: can they can they keep themselves from getting tired? Can they can the offense stay on the field long enough to give them a break? Because I think if the offense, I, excuse me, I think if the defense can rest at times, yeah, I think they can be a force to be reckoned with, and they could really put some pressure on Ohio State's offense. What I just don't want to see happen is them come out and do that for a half and go really really hard for the first two quarters and then come out in the third quarter and start to get tired and if they get tired it's not necessarily a you know I remember against Colorado people were like oh Duvall obviously didn't train them hard enough and it's like well it's not that they were just on the field a lot now a frost defense is always going to be on the field quite a bit that's just how it is 80 plays like but they're gonna get tired they just it's just a matter of can can the offense help lessen that exhaustion just a teeny bit because if they can play, if they can play Ohio State pretty tough from start to finish, that defense can make it pretty interesting for Nebraska. The defense just needs to lessen the damage on the Ohio State side. Of they're going to give up points. It's just a matter of can you lessen the damage of how many? Because if you're putting Nebraska's offense in a situation where they're going to have to overcome, you know, 14, 21 points because they keep giving them up, it's not happening in Ohio happening. State. No. You could you could come back from fourteen down. They were down they were down fourteen three times against Illinois. And they came but back that was Illinois. Times. If you're down fourteen nothing early to Ohio State, it's gonna be like twenty eight three. Mm-hmm. Oh sorry, not three. Twenty eight seven. Mm-hmm. No field goals. No field goals. No fear of failure. No <laughs> field goals. That's this weekend's motto. Do you want to talk about anything else? No, I don't I'm... want to talk about facilities. 
You want to talk about it? I don't want to. No. Um, then no, I have nothing else I want to say. Cool. Aaron, you have, uh, what is it? What is the phrase? Mike Hughes exhausted all of his knowledge. I don't know if I've exhausted all of my knowledge, but I've exhausted what I'm able to share today. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. But we're going to have a ton of fun with game day this weekend. You're going to get to see Gabby Union. You're going to get to see them and too and Dwayne Wade. You're going to get to see... Who's the bachelor person that's coming? Colton here? Underwood. Okay. Funny fun fact about Colton Underwood because people were freaking out about this guy. So for you listening to the podcast, you're like, oh, I saw this tweet from this person. I don't know. Um, Colton Underwood was the most recent bachelor of the ABC franchise. Uh, he is not coming to be the guest picker. I would Thank put God. money on that. The reason why is there's a guy named Blake who is also a part of this bachelor franchise. He was on the last season of The Bachelorette, was on Bachelor in Paradise, whatever. He's actually a giant Nebraska fan. He's from Nebraska. He went to Hastings College, is is a graduate of Hastings College. Um, I'm guessing because he's good friends with Colton that since game day is coming, ABC, all of that stuff, Blake probably said, let's go to Nebraska. And Colton said, sure thing. Why not? So I'm sure they'll get some airtime, especially in game day, but they're not going to be the picker. All There's know, no connection to Nebraska other than Blake being from Hastings, like going to Hastings College. All I know is that when uh, when I told Alex about it, she was like, oh, I hate that guy. Yeah, and no, he I, sucks. I saw that he, uh, in his own tweets, uses a hashtag that's just his name. And I feel like that tells me everything I need to know about him. Game day is here. <laughs> he took pictures. We took pictures. Um, we'll have a ton of stuff. So yeah, if I offer stuff. you nothing else, just bookmark com. Um, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, follow us on, like us on Facebook. You can also follow Dr. Petey. No. Um, but yeah, we'll have a ton of stuff. It'll be fun. I'm very close to 4,000 and I wanted to get there. Okay. So follow Dr. Petey HV and tell your friends. I need 138. All right. So everybody listening to this, all four of you are responsible. Excuse you. just kidding. (laughs) All four of you and Greg oh. are responsible for, and Brandon. All right, Aaron, you got work to do. Uh, I'm going to kick you out of here now and throw your stuff again. So thank you for coming on the podcast and then insulting our viewership at the end or, re- or listenership. It is listenership quality, not quantity. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I'm just getting to all one million of you. <laughs> All right, joining me this week, I'm very excited to have him sitting across the table from me. It's Jeremiah Searles, who's in our office, live mm. and in person. Jeremiah, man, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. It's good to get down here face-to-face and yeah. be back in Lincoln and yeah. the whole bit. So so I, I want to... You have a show. You mm. have a new show yes. that's being put on Twitch. Yes. Tell me about this. Yes. So I thought with being on IR this year... Um, and being kind of needing something to keep myself busy and something that I want to kind of dive into a little bit more was to create a live show, a live, I call it a vodcast. I'm not sure what exactly you would call it, but it's essentially a live show Monday nights on my Twitch channel, which is I'm breaking down the Husker games previous before from my point of view, from what I saw. I've had guests on, like Kenny Bell on after the CU game, Luke Gifford last week, Danny Woodhead actually is going to be my guest this week after the Ohio State game. And it's a new show that is, it's different. 
because the whole premise of the show is I want it to be like a live interaction with the audience. I want them to be able to come, be watching the show, watching me, but also they can type in and in real time we can have a conversation. So it's new, it's different, it's still kind of getting off the ground. And what's different about it is it's trying to convince people to go download a whole new app. And that's the hard part is trying to say, hey, this is new. Anytime something's new, people resist. So the idea is if you can download Twitch, Twitch is a great platform. It's just like another social media platform. It's like Twitter. It's like Facebook. But it then allows you to have all these live interactions with different people. And for me, it's to target the Husker fans that want to come and just talk Husker ball because that's what it is. I want to have a conversation with you one-on-one. Challenge me. I have thoughts. You have thoughts. And let's talk about it. So it started really well. It's called Just My Opinion. And it's on Monday nights at 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. And uh, we're just kind of rolling along with it. And you're taking questions uh, throughout Sunday and Monday yep. leading up to it? Yep. And- so I, during the game, I live tweet during the game, just kind of giving my thoughts and my opinions. And then uh, on Sundays, if you have questions after the dust settles, I don't, I don't need the emotional questions as much because I have those, those are the best two. ones. Those are the best ones, but they're also the hardest to answer. Yeah. Um, and so get those on Sunday and Monday, and then I answer those via Instagram, Twitter, and answer those on uh, Monday nights as well. We're actually doing a special here in the rail yard on Friday night. Tommy Armstrong and myself will be doing a live show here on the rail yard at six thirty. So we're excited about that. Awesome. I'll link to everything that people need Please. to go to. Yes, to it's all over website. my socials, so you can come uh the socials. It's twitch.tv backslash jcerl71, but it's really easy if you just download Twitch and then just search for jcerl71, and it's all over my socials. Hellvarsity.com has it, so it's all over the place. It does take a little bit to get to, but I promise you, it's worth it. Yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it. Uh, you've had guys on that I love. I love Luke Gifford. He was oh, fantastic. So, love Gif. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a good start. Yeah, I would absolutely. recommend... Watching it, I was about to say listen, but watch it. Watch it. Vodcast. Vodcast. I think that's the best thing to describe it as. Pretty I good. I'm not sure. I'm not real sure what it would be other than that. Well, it's not really a podcast. I don't think that's a phrase. I haven't heard that phrase. Vodcast? So you just created something new. Hey, there you go. There you go. Um, I So you're here to talk about football. Yes. So I, I kind of want your, um, just your, your knee-jerk reaction to the first four weeks of the season. Nebraska got through non-conference play. A lot of people thought that they were going to be 3-0 and after non-conference Two and one instead with the overtime loss to Colorado. Um, a lot of people thought that that it was gonna Nebraska was gonna roll, so to speak, through these first four games. Yep. And it, it was setting up to where Nebraska was gonna be four and zero. Ohio State was gonna be four and zero. Both were gonna be ranked. Game day was gonna be here. Game day is here, but Nebraska is not four and zero. People are a little bit uneasy about the way the team has performed. Are you in that camp, or do, do you kind of see like why it's been off? I mean, I think I was the same way. I was like, man, this has. This whole this week, this Ohio State week, had everything leading up to it that needed to be picture perfect for it to be the game. And we're here. Didn't take the road that, like you said, wasn't the road that we assumed, but we're still here. The problem is now there's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of doubt in not just my mind, I think in every fan's mind, of this can go, in my opinion, one of two ways this weekend. We will win this game outright, or I think we get ran out of our own stadium. I, I think that the... The, the, the problem being that Nebraska is a very good football team, but we are not a good enough football team to beat Ohio State and beat ourselves. Sometimes we are our biggest problem. Mm-hmm. As we saw against Illinois, we had one of our best offensive days, probably under the Scott Frost and Taylor Marti- or Taylor Adrian Martinez era. It's his dad. It's fine. Right. But the problem is it was overshadowed by the turnovers because that is the biggest glaring problem for Nebraska's offense right now is not being able to hold on to the football. Mm-hmm. And when you play a team like Illinois, you can get away with that because you are you were the better team. 
No doubt about it. You play a team that's equally matched or even possibly slightly better than you in the talent category, you cannot afford those kind of mistakes. You can't afford the four turnovers, two of inside your red zone, and hope to be able to beat a team like Ohio State. So the uneasiness is definitely there for me. But the confidence at the equal time is I feel better going into this year's Ohio State game about where we are as a team than I did last year's Ohio State game. Yeah, there, there's not a, there's not a, a fear. I don't think right. these guys, like I wrote that on HailVarsity.com. These guys aren't scared of Ohio State anymore. As they shouldn't be. Like you look at, and, and not to say that everybody on the, the 2016 and 2017 teams was afraid of Ohio State because that's not a generalization that I want to make. But for the most part, they did not believe that they could win those games. And the scoreboard shows that. 62-3 to doesn't happen unless you don't have a belief going into it that, that you're going to stand a chance against the team. Um, I think Nebraska believes that they can go toe-to-toe with these guys right now, and it'll be a competitive game. Um, the, the thing that you mentioned, turnovers. Fumbles has been the big thing. Right. Adrian Martinez leads the country in fumbles. The team is, I think, fourth yes. uh, in fumbles per game. They work on ball security drills a ton in practice. Like like we like when they do the open portion, that's what they start with. That's what we see. <laughs> how do you fix that when you when you rep it so much? Like how do you fix fumbling in the game? Because a lot of it is random. In your experience, what have coaches told you? Like how do you fix that stuff? I think a lot of it is a mindset. A lot of a lot of turnovers is if you're thinking it's the old age old like if you think about your if you think about not doing it you're going to do it right. if you get your hand on the ball and you're like oh my gosh don't fumble don't fumble don't fumble you're not thinking about okay run the right way block put my shoulder down the right way and the best way that i've had people explain it is ball security also is a fundamental thing it's when you're in practice and you know you're not going to take the big hit from the safety over the middle you pretend like you are and you cover the ball like you're going to especially at the quarterback position i talked about this a little bit on my show on monday night the fact that quarterbacks don't get hit, and that's the right thing to do in practice. They should not get hit. You should not be having your quarterback out there taking lumps because he is a heartbeat of your team. Mm-hmm. But that can then hurt in the long run if Adrian's used to running around the corner and he knows that that Mo Berry screaming out is not going to hit. He can get a little, okay, I don't have to tuck my shoulder. I don't have to tuck the ball away two hands. And you can kind of get in a rhythm of that through offseason, spring ball, into fall camp, where you're not used to getting hit to where all of a sudden the bullets are flying, and as you're turning the corner, that linebacker's not slowing down. He's speeding up through contact, and your body's not used to that. So I think for Adrian Mills, Mo Washington, Stoll even had a couple. The idea of turning into practice, mentally dialing in that every time you feel like you should be making contact, prepare like you are. If you're going to turn the corner as – you just catch the ball as a receiver, tuck it, two hands on. If you're through traffic and you know you're not going to get taken to the ground, still put two hands on the ball. Because when I've seen our fumbles from looking at Adrian's, Mills, even Stoles, is it's when after contact, but they're on the way to the ground, they're putting one hand out on the ground to maybe brace themselves or they're swinging the ball out to maybe balance themselves. I think the idea is they need to tuck it, roll, and just get used to falling on the ground with it. That's how I've seen the most success through, like, we did it in the league. We did ball security drills in the league, and that's taking contact through the initial contact to the ground. Because if you look at it, as you're falling is when your body starts to protect itself. Mm -hmm. So you kind of put yourself in the most awkward situations. Okay. One of the – I think this game in particular, the battle in the trenches is going to be massive. Talking about Nebraska's defensive line, I think these dudes can go toe to toe with Ohio State's offensive line. It's not what it used to be, where Nebraska just wasn't big enough to handle right. it. Like Nebraska's defensive line with Darian Daniels and and the Davis brothers, I think they've got something good going there. 
The, the, the spot that I'm really, really curious to see how it plays out is on the other side. Nebraska's offensive line going against this Ohio State defensive line. Do you have concerns there? Well, let's start with the defensive line. I think that Nebraska's defensive line, you nail on the head, is big enough to go toe-to-toe with these guys 100%. My thing is we're going to have to be creative with how we rush this passer. Okay. Um, I mean, Justin Fields is a problem. Yeah. There's no way around it. The dude is an elite talent. Mm-hmm. And as a defensive line, your biggest instinct sometimes is we just got to get to him. Well, you got to get to him the right way because this is the kind of guy that if you try and run by him and you end up in the worst spot ever as a defensive lineman behind the quarterback, this dude can hurt you with your legs. So I think our defensive line can go toe-to-toe with them, but they have to make sure they rush the passer the right way. We love line stunts. We love moving guys around. It's one of our strengths, but we have to make sure that they do it and not allow seams for this guy to take off and hurt us with his legs. I think that's where you're going to see our defensive line have to be a little different than they've been in the past four games is how they rush this passer. That's interesting because I asked Tony Tuioti about that. I said, can you can you be as aggressive as you have been with this guy who has the threat where if you get out of a lane or if, you, if he breaks containment, he's hitting you for 20 or 30 mm-hmm. yards. So you think that it'll be a little bit different looking. I do. I think they have to rush him differently. They, yeah. they cannot just... We love to blitz. We love sending guys from all over the field. But I almost think that if we blitz, it has to be a spy blitzer. It has to be a blitz that you run and if you kind of delay a little bit and as soon as you see he's really thrown, then you blitz. But the problem is no one's gotten to this guy. I mean, he's stayed very clean through the majority of the first four games looking at it. That's because the ball is out quick. So, I mean, it's going to be really important that our DBs press up on these guys and allow our D-line to get there. Flipping gears to our side, they have 20 sacks on the year, mm-hmm. led by their, I mean, their stud first round pick, most likely young on the outside with seven sacks. He's a guy that we would do if I was game planning him at the beginning of the week. I'd put a giant star around his name and say, "Game wrecker." We have to make sure this guy does not wreck the game. Make someone else beat us besides him because he's the kind of guy that can wreck you on offense. One player. I mean, you see it all over Camilo Mack, Aaron Donalds. I mean, teams have these guys, and this is Ohio State's guy. I think it's going to be really important that Hymas and Farniak play their best games um, on the outside, but that we also game plan around him. How do we make sure that we're not letting him just tee off on third downs on our tackles? Well, you do that by having success on first and second down, obviously. Getting yourself into third and manageables, third and threes, third and fours. But if that doesn't happen, we chip him, running back help. Maybe you slide away from him, cut him a few times. And that's going to be the key on our offense is taking care of that guy first. If I'm offensive line coach, if I'm Coach Austin, I'm looking, how do we take care of that guy first and then move on to other guys? What's been your evaluation of the, the two guards that Nebraska has? Because everybody talked about Cam Jurgen setting in mm-hmm. the season and, and people kind of just assumed that Hymas and Farniok were going to be right. what they have been and they'll continue to grow because they're the older state, or the elder statesmen yep. on the offensive line. Trent Hickson, the walk-on that was put on scholarship and, and has apparently had the starting job or seemingly had the starting job since the spring, and then Bo Wilson, who we didn't nobody wrote anything about Bo this offseason. What has been your evaluation of those two guys through the first four games? I think Bo's been very consistent. I think he's been one of our more consistent guys. He's not flashy. Mm-hmm. He's not the guy that you're going to pull on and see make the athletic move around a linebacker. He's a big, hard nose. Reminds me a lot of a Matt Slauson. Um, for those, he played back here early to, or late 2000s. I think he graduated in 2008, played in the league for 10 years, one of my good buddies. But just, he's not, you almost look at him, you're like, move faster, Bo. But he's very slow and methodical in his steps, and he gets where he needs to be. In the run game, he's, in the run game, he's a great, he's a grader. I mean, he is. Um, he gets himself in trouble a little bit in the past game with oversetting guys. But I think he's been one of our more consistent offensive linemen. And 
Hickson, as I watched him early on, I was like, okay, you can tell this is a young kid. He's just, but as I, I even talked about it on, uh, I gave my uh, third of the way season grades on Monday night, and I gave the offensive line a, a C plus, which I thought was fair. But if I was grading him, I would say he's moved from like a C to a B in the last four weeks because he does what you want to see out of a young lineman, get better every week, mm-hmm. and he has. Every week you've seen him settle down. The first week he was on the ground a lot, all over the place. He's settled his feet down. He's starting to get much more comfortable. And that just comes with game reps. You can't emulate, emulate that without game reps. I thought he's been playing very, very well against Illinois. I thought he played really well. Had a couple pass protection issues. But overall, he's getting better every week, which is what you want to see out of young offensive line. Yeah, and over the last couple of weeks, he's, he's popped up a little bit more and yep. more in stuff where you see him driving guys back. Yep. You see a big run, and it's because... Hickson has sealed something. Or yes, something like that. Especially when you when you have an athletic center, they want to pull him and move him around a lot. Well, that's really important that your guards can then get the down blocks, get the pin blocks, and let that guy get out of there. And there's a few times that Hickson missed those early on, but he's starting to hit those now. He's starting to really cut the defense, as you call it. When you have a puller, the whole idea is you cut the defense in half with your pin block. You add a hat with the puller, and that's what the lane is. And so you've seen that with Bo and with. Uh, and Hickson, that they can do that, which is where some of our explosive run plays have come from. Do you think Nebraska can move the ball on the ground against the Ohio State defense? I think they have to. Um, I think that they have to make sure, first of all, you can't fall behind early to this team because then you have to abandon your run game. Mm-hmm. And when you abandon your run game, that's why these dudes have 20 sacks because their offense scores points so fast that you can't run the ball like you need to. And the other part is we need to run the ball because we can't let Justin Fields have the ball as much as he wants we need our offense to control the game and you control the game by your offensive line your offensive line sets the tempo for the game how does you come out and you establish drives 10 play 11 play 12 play drives that take four five six minutes that's the tempo you want to dictate tempo for the game not the other way around you don't want justin fields and jk dobbins out there doing whatever they want to do then and you're playing catch up no adrian well, Mo Washington, if he's healthy, I'm not sure if he's going to play or not. I hope he is. Diedrich Mills, those type of guys have to be the trends, the tone setters, but that all starts with the offensive line. I think they can, and I think that they're going to have to get a little creative with how they do it. Some of those pin-pull schemes, getting out around on the edge, getting on the edge, hammering up in the middle. I still think our best in-between tackles runner is Adrian. I do. I think he gives us the best shot to have positive yards in between the tackles. Um, but Mo on the outside is just, I mean, any time that dude touches the ball, he could go the distance. Yeah, he was jugging people out of their shoes. It was unbelievable. At 50%. It was unbelievable. It was great. Um, the center snapping thing started Whoa. to pop back up a yes. little bit against Illinois. And, and Cam was really, really good against Colorado. Like, mm-hmm. imme- like it was a problem, and then it was just immediately fixed against Colorado. And he was good against Northern Illinois. And they started to creep back up a little bit against Illinois. Do you do you think a lot of Adrian's struggles this season have to do with timing between him and his back and the snap? Do you like? Do you think Cam is at fault a little bit for some of Adrian's um, hesitancy or struggles or inconsistencies? I think the snap has a little bit to do with that, and an offense like Scott's, which is very much read all over the map right sometimes sometimes adrian's reading the d end of the linebacker to the db right i mean on run plays and then on pass protection you got it or pass if it's a quick pass like scott wants out your first read's got to be immediate and if you're a quarterback and you come out and your first read your first thought is not okay it's two by two coverage or it's it's a three by one and like okay the safety's rotated you're like okay where's this snap gonna be you're already behind the eight ball 
as a quarterback. You already are you're already a half second or a second late, which didn't, that makes that much difference. Mm-hmm. And you saw, like I said, the first game was crazy all over the map, and then he was much better in this game. Center's a weird position. I've played it before, and it's so mental because it's the same idea of, oh, my gosh, don't turn the ball over. It's like, oh, shoot, don't snap it over his head. Don't snap it over his head. Don't snap it. Oh, I snapped it over his head. It's the it's the mental thing because you know after you do it one time, you're like, oh, I can do this. Like, this isn't that hard. I know I can do it. But doing it on a consistent basis. And the other part is when you start messing up a snap, so your quarterback will come up to you and be like, hey, that was high. That's all you need to be said. You don't need to come off on the sideline of coach going, well, you did high. Did you get your butt down? And you have another guy that's like, well, move your hand this way. And it's ever, have you ever gone golfing with like <laughs> yeah. people that consider themselves good golfers? Yeah. And you like have a slice of nine people like, well, if you move your foot this way and then you like change your grip a little bit this way, next thing you know, you can't even hit the ball. Yep. It's kind of like that. And I think that kind of happens a little bit, especially during games when emotions are running high, tempers are high, and people are trying to figure out why are things happening. And people are like, well, just do this, just do that, do that. And I think that with a young player like Jurgens, if he has too many voices in his ear, that can be difficult. I'm not saying that's what it is, but I've been there. I've had that happen to where it's all you can think about. So I'm hoping this week he has one clear voice, which should be Coach Austin and Adrian, that say, hey, let's get this together. Let's get it worked out. What's going on? What's your issue? Why is this happening? Get it figured out, and then I think he should be fine again this week. Okay. One more question for you. What, what changed with Adrian between the first half and really into the, the fourth quarter against Illinois? He got decisive with the ball. He got decisive running the ball north-south versus east-west. Too many times this year I think I've seen Adrian try and get to the corner on guys. I Like I said, I think he's our best option between the tackles because he's 230 pounds. I mean, he's he runs like Cody Green. He's a big guy, but he needs to make one cut north-south. Four or five yards is a good run. You're not always going to rip the 30, 40 yards like you see Mo when Mo bounces out there. You're not Mo. And so in the run game, I think he started figuring that out. Like, okay, one cut, break an arm tackle, I'm on to the second level. And he did that for that 25-yarder and then that big 44-yarder there at the end. So I think seeing him do that was big because I hope he carries that over. And then also just he was clean in the pocket. He wasn't constantly having to roll out. I think he's been better this year on the move than he has been in the pocket, which was a kind of a flip for me last year. I thought watching him last year, I was like, wow, a young kid in the pocket like this it's really cool to see how calm we're this year. He gets out of the pocket, and I'm like much more, whew, I, I kind of calmed down yeah. a little bit. Like, yep. oh, yeah, I, I, I like you on the move. Yep. Um, so I think getting him on the move, and he's he needs to get some help at wide receiver. I mean, J.D. and Wendell are really the only two receivers that have got him help this year. And so I think a lot of what we saw is him, and through the first three games at least, is him missing Stanley Morgan. I don't think people really understand how much of a safety net Stanley was for him last mm-hmm. year. Like, things break down. Where's my big six foot four receiver I can throw up and give a 50 50 ball to? We don't have that this year. We just don't. Noah hasn't turned into that guy. We just don't have um, Wilkerson and what's his name? Uh, gosh dang it. McQuitty. McQuitty's. McQuitty? Yeah, McQuitty hasn't turned into that guy for us yet. So we're trying to find that bodied receiver for Adrian to go to. I mean, those plays over the middle to JD were huge for confidence wise for him. So I think that between him being decisive in the run game and then getting out of the pocket and finding J.D. was really the big difference for that fourth quarter for him. That guy should be Jack Stoll, right? I think so, too. Like, that's what I've been saying, but it's it seems like he's not trusting enough of Stoll to give him the ball. I, I was doing the grades on Monday night, and I put B, question mark, because I was like, I, I have a hard time grading these tight ends because I just feel like we haven't seen a lot of them. I mean, Jack has 10 passes, a touchdown, but... I feel like we need him more involved, and it's weird to me because 
RPOs are predominantly dominated by tight ends because they have those mismatches of if the linebacker sucks in, tight end over the middle. If the linebacker plays in, tight end on the outside. So I, I want to see more involved in Jaxtell because, A, he's a battering ram with the ball in his hand. Mm-hmm. I mean, the dude, he's a big physical guy, and he does create those mismatch problems. So I want to see him have a big game. I think if we can have him have a big game, that can that thing gives Adrian three legitimate, trustworthy targets that he has trust in in between. Wendell, JD, and Stoll, especially if Wendell has to maybe move a little bit more into the running back role to help ease some of the running back woes that we got, then it really, if it comes down to those two, like you got to make sure there's another option besides JD Spielman. Yeah, so I, I kind of made the comment to a couple people this week that Nebraska needs to simplify Adrian's what he's seeing because mm-hmm. it just looks like there's a lot of input when he's dropping back and trying to diagnose what's going on in front of him. So if you just if you just have it to where it's he's got JD as his first option or he's got Wandale in the flat or Maurice Washington, like those three guys need to get the ball and if those three guys can't get the ball, he needs to go. Yes. As opposed to trying to get Mike Williams or Conovai Noah or Austin Allen or any of the other wide receivers that they want to throw into the game, try to get them the ball. Do you agree? Like, does it does it look to you like he just needs a little bit of a simplification so that he can be a little bit more decisive? I think yes. People people were sending in tweets last week going, "Why does he look timid? Like, why does Adrian look so much more timid this year?" And I was like, "I don't think it's timid. I think he's trying to do too much." And I think you nailed it on the head. He needs to, in his own mind, realize, "Okay, I I need to be who I know I am, and I am a first second read guy, and I need to go." That's what Justin Fields does. Justin Fields is one of the best quarterbacks because he goes to his first read, his second read. Granted, he's got some absolute monsters on the outside there in Victor, and I can't pronounce that one guy's name, uh, the Odobiji or whatever his name is, I'm the not receiver. Try to pronounce it. It's I'm wild. Not gonna help you out. It's wild, but he's really good. <laughs> um, and so he's got guys he can just throw out there. But I mean, for us in a struggling wide receiver room, we need to make sure that it's like exactly like you said, go one to the next. If he's not there, put your foot down, get four or five. That's a plus play. Yeah. But what you can't do is stay back there, run right, one, run left, trying to escape out the back end of the pocket and sack for minus nine. That is where Nebraska will kill themselves this week against a good defense if we don't stay ahead of the schedule, stay on schedule ahead of the chains. You mentioned earlier that you think this is either going to be a Nebraska win outright or it'll be an Ohio State big win. Do you yes. want to put a number to it? I want to say I want to say Nebraska wins uh, 42-31. I think that that is a safe number. I think that we need... A couple turnovers from Ohio State. Our black shirts got to take the ball away, and we have to capitalize touchdowns off those turnovers because we don't have a kicker. So we can't turn those into three. Those have to turn into seven. And if we do that, I think we can we can hang 40 points on these guys. I really think we can. Offensively, if we take care of the ball, we can score on anybody. I'm not worried about that. But the problem will become if you can flip that score and subtract 20 points if we turn the ball over three times. It could easily be Ohio State, 42, 49, Nebraska in the 20s if we give them the ball two or three times because they're a good enough team to make you pay for it and then not let you earn it back on offense. Like Illinois would let us go earn the earn the points back. Ohio State's not going to make that mistake. Yeah. All right, bud. Everybody follow Jeremiah on Twitter. Tune in Monday at 6 p.m. Yes. On Twitch. Yes. Watch the show. Absolutely. Appreciate right. you having me on. Thanks for coming. All right, joining the podcast this week, it's Caroline Rice from Ozone, or The Ozone, excuse me. Uh, Caroline, how are you? Doing great, thank you. Excited to be here. Thanks for coming on the podcast. It's uh, it's a big week. It's a big week. Game day is going to be in Lincoln. 
Um, Ohio State, Nebraska was fun last year. Hopefully we get a fun game this year after um, all of the not-so-fun games that happened prior to Scott Frost's arrival. <laughs> um, I, I want to start, you know, you gave me an opening, so I'm going to ask you something off the cuff now. So I want to start with Miami, Ohio's head coach last week. Um, I believe his name is Chuck Martin. Yeah, Chuck Martin made the comment that when you play Ohio State, it's like they have uh, the first 85 picks on the playground. <laughs> so real, I mean, great, great quote, great soundbite. Yeah. How is Ryan Day? On a, on a spectrum of like coach says nothing, coaches coach speak, uh, you have to like read between the lines with what he says. He's not going to give you anything interesting. All the way to the other end of the spectrum with Chuck Martin sounding off like that. Like where does Ryan Day fall on the spectrum? That's a really good question. I actually think he's pretty in the middle. I think Coach Meyer, of course, he's always going to be compared to him. But Coach Meyer was a little bit more reserved, a little more coach talk, kind of had to read between the lines and figure things out. Um, coach Day will definitely tell you you know, what's going on, and he's very transparent. But I don't know if he would be bold enough to make a statement like that or any kind. I think he's just very focused um, and, and very kind of straightforward about about things and about his team. I'm a big fan of when coaches uh, make jokes and, and take shots <laughs> at media. Scott Frost, yeah. it was like his first press conference. He, like, made fun of somebody's socks. Um, it was a TV guy, and I thought oh that, my God. I, I love when coaches do that, so. Um, yeah, that's actually pretty funny. I know uh, Brian Hartline, you know, uh, the wide receivers coach at Ohio State, you know, cracks a few jokes here and there. Jeff Hafley, definitely more of the assistants show the personality. But when Coach Day gets in front of us, it's, uh, again, he's honest, he's transparent, but it's pretty straightforward. All business. Um, yeah. I want to I begin our conversation with talking about um, Nebraska's offense going against Ohio State's defense. Um, you know, the talk is that that Nebraska's offense will be the best that Ohio State has faced this season. I think Ryan Day made a comment um, somewhat along those lines um, in his press conference. But Ohio State hasn't really played anyone with a threatening offense so far. So mm -hmm. I guess my question to you is when you when you talk to the coaches, when you've talked to the players, has your sense been that um, that these guys are actually afraid of Nebraska's skill position guys or is this one of those situations where Ohio State feels like hey if we take care of business if we do what we have to do on our end and we execute properly this should be a win for us yeah I get it I think it's a little bit of both so you know from what Adrian Martinez has showed and and JD Steelman guys like Wandale um, Robinson I think they're aware of the skill and the talent that Nebraska has. And they're not shying away from that. I, you were 100% accurate when you said Coach Day made one of those comments. He said, this is no doubt the best team Ohio State has faced, the best offense they faced all year. And um, but, but again, I also think Ohio State's defense is the best that Nebraska has faced all year. So it kind of goes both ways when you look at the success of Adrian Martinez, but also the success of, of this defense. It's a true test for, for both sides. Um, but I do think that it just feels different around the Woody Hayes Athletic Center this week, considering, you know, what happened at Iowa two years ago, Purdue last year. I don't think they're taking this one lightly. I think they, you know, treat it like it's, you know, this is a business trip. Uh, it's, it's any other game. But it, there's definitely a different feel and more of an awareness about how big this game is for, for both of these teams, really. I was wondering if that kind of, cloud was hanging over Ohio State a little bit this week with what happened yeah. at Purdue and what happened at Iowa. It so is. that's that's interesting. Yeah, Coach Day actually mentioned that they talk about it all the time. 
you know, some, some coaches would say, oh, we shy away from that. We move on. You know, it's just a loss. It's in the past. Uh, but they talk about that all the time, preseason, summer, workouts, practice, anytime that will be brought up. Okay. Um, if somebody gave you a million dollars to block Chase Young, do you think you would do it? <laughs> Are you kidding? For a million. Yeah, things change when money's thrown uh, th- that way. But <laughs> I'd be a little scared. That's for sure. I I feel like I would. There would be uh, bones broken if I tried to block Chase Young. Oh, he's obviously 100%. a guy that everybody's. Yeah, he's obviously a guy that everybody <laughs> is 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 keyed in on. He's he's not going to catch anybody by surprise. Um, but just reading up on Ohio State, the rest of the defensive line, it seems like there's there's been guys moving in and out of the lineup. Um, same thing at at safety. It seems like uh, an injury. I saw that a guy was uh, entered his name into the transfer portal. Um, yeah. Can you just, I guess, give it any kind of update on what the safety situation looks like and what Ohio State's defensive line situation looks like outside of Chase Young? So I think that's a really good question because one thing Coach Day doesn't really like to talk about is is the injuries and kind of what's going on with the team um, as far as injuries and you know updates. So we actually won't know until uh, closer to the game as far as who's going to be on that defensive line, but. Um, I know last week, you know, Robert Landers was out. I'm expecting him to be back. Tyreek Smith, still not sure of him. Jonathan Cooper, I've heard he's been getting close, but I don't know if this is the week that he will be back. But you look at what that defensive line has been able to do, even with uh, that many, you know, guys still not really in the lineup. So I'm curious to see if there are any guys back. But even still, their production against the run has just been very impressive uh, so I, I don't think any, um, there's any concern with that area, even with the, the lack of guys there. Uh, but as far as the safety position, that did come as a little bit of a surprise with Isaiah Pryor entering the transfer portal. Um, but I honestly think Ohio State will be fine. He played a lot last week from what I saw. But once again, kind of everybody on Ohio State's team played last week. They played so much depth. Uh, there just because of the score and the situation. So a lot of young guys, a lot of third string, fourth string guys got to see game action. Uh, so I'm, I'm assuming that's what it was for Isaiah. But Coach Day said they have depth there. You know, they have guys like Jordan Fuller, Josh Proctor, uh, Jocelyn Went, Marcus Hooker. Guys can fill in, and especially with this bullet position, the guys are a lot more interchangeable than they were in the past. So some linebackers can play at safety. Guys like Pete Werner can move up. We've already seen him do that. So I think they'll be fine at safety. Of course, the more depth, the better, because Ohio State likes to play with depth at any position to keep them fresh. But I really I don't think it's that much of a concern for them right now. They preach next man up, and that's kind of how they've been playing so far this season. Okay. I want to pivot over to the offense, Ohio State's offense. Yeah. Um, and and just ask you plainly, it was it was seven to five against Miami, Ohio last week after the first quarter. <laughs> what the hell happened in the second quarter? <laughs> yeah, I know you wanted to pivot to the offense, but I am actually going to give some of the credit to the defense there. Uh, that's really it really showed you what Justin Fields can do when he has the opportunities. But again, I think the defense created those opportunities for that. Justin Fields just took advantage of what the defense gave him. And that was Chase Young and his strip sacks that really gave the ball Ohio State so many times in that quarter. Um, but as far as Justin Fields, I think he has, he has what it takes. And he has the weapons on that side of the ball to allow him to be successful. And I, I think, again, the second quarter of last week's game was just a good idea of what that offense can really look like. 
What's been your take on on Fields' play so far? I mean, you look at some of the efficiency stuff. Ohio State is one of the most explosive teams in, in the Big mm-hmm. Ten and in the country. Is there areas where um, Ryan Day talks about Fields needing to improve in? I mean, when you're on a team that has a, as much talent as Ohio State does, mm-hmm. I mean, he I mean, he's got options everywhere. I mean, he doesn't have yeah. to work very hard to find a dude who's right, open exactly. and can make something happen with the ball. What What has been your um, I guess, evaluation of, of Fields through his first mm-hmm. four games, and what do you kind of expect? Does this Is this the way he talks about it? Is this the biggest game that he's played in? I think definitely it's the, it's the biggest game uh, he's, he's played in so far. Just with it being a night game and being a road game, he doesn't have that much experience with that, let alone experience with that as, as a Buckeye. Uh, it's only a second road game with Ohio State, but this, this whole environment, is new for him. So I think that's going to be a challenge he's just going to have to navigate through as a young guy. But his demeanor, part of that is what allows him to be so successful. He's always kind of seemed prepared for this. He's used to being in the spotlight. He was a highly recruited guy. He was on that QB1 show. So I think he's been ready for this and been prepared for this kind of moment in this kind of game. So it's not like it really came came up out of nowhere uh, for him. But I've honestly been very impressed with Justin Fields so far this season. I will admit that I was one of the skeptics because, you know, I just came off the season covering Dwayne Haskins and what he did. And I was like, there's no way, you know, another guy can come in and just do what Dwayne Haskins did. Um, but in the spring, he was still learning. Things were very slow. And the preseason, things really clicked for him. Um, and I've just been blown away with what he's able to do. And again, I hear a lot of, well, he hasn't faced anybody. They haven't faced a good defense. But, you know, if that's the case, then why doesn't every other quarterback have 19 touchdowns so far in four games, right? Uh, so, so you have to give him credit for just what he's done. But there's always room for improvement, and that's what they preach throughout the Woody Hayes and throughout um, just Coach Day's offense as a whole. He even said the other day, Justin has to learn from, from his mistakes and from his successes. Um, and I think what he really has to improve on is just making smart decisions when it comes to throwing the ball away or staying in the pocket and scrambling, uh, because that's something you learn with experience. So I, I would look for look for improvement in that area, just not you know trying to not force things, um, throwing the ball you know away at the right time, sliding, getting out, things like that. But um, I think he's done a good job so far. No interceptions so far in four games is pretty. Uh, pretty good but I think as the season goes on with Justin you're going to see more of the read option so as he gets into these games he's going to really have to win by doing whatever it takes and I think that means a few more runs for him personally not just in the red zone Uh, so I would look for that but again I've just been very impressed with what he's been able to do uh, despite you know all the changes that have taken place. I started to write this uh, a day or two ago, I started to write that he's the best athlete that Ohio State has had at quarterback in a long time. And then yeah. I was like, oh, wait, JT Barrett. Well, mm-hmm. and I kind of stopped myself and had a little internal debate. Who's who's the better athlete between <laughs> him and Barrett? I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. I, I would have to go with Justin Fields, I think, because he's okay. a pass-first quarterback that's able to make plays with his feet and that's able to run when that's needed. I think when you have the weapons on offense like Ohio State has, you, you want more of a pass-first quarterback because that's how he can make plays. But then he also has the ability that Dwayne Haskins didn't to really run and be mobile. That's fair enough. 
Uh, Florida Atlantic was was forty five to twenty one. Ohio State mm-hmm. won that game by twenty four points. Cincinnati mm-hmm. the next week was a forty two nothing shutout. <laughs> Indiana was fifty one to ten. Obviously, you know we've talked about what happened against Miami Ohio last week. Right. There's a there's a notion out there that because Ohio State with this team this year hasn't faced a ton of adversity late in games, hasn't been in pressure situations late in games, mm-hmm. that Nebraska has an advantage there if the game gets tight in the fourth quarter because Nebraska's been in two close games right. already to begin the season. Do you think there's anything um, anything to that notion, or do you think that that's just, you know, Ohio State just hasn't been in it, but, you know, we'll see. It's comes down to coaching a lot of times in those situations and right. you see Ohio State's medal when they face that situation. I think that's definitely an important part of this game. As I you know, mentioned before, there are a few concerns I have just about the logistics of this game with Ohio State, with it being a night game, being on the road. Um, and again, they also haven't played a full game. Ohio State starters have not played four quarters in any of their games they really haven't played a full 60 minutes so you can look at the good things that come out of that which you know are one you're preventing injuries and saving their bodies uh especially a guy like justin Fields, so critical to uh have him take care of his body but also that means you know you're killing it when you can pull the starters that early it's a good win um so you don't need you don't need that effort and then three you're gaining depth by getting a lot of young guys in there and getting game experience But the bad thing is that when you look at this game for Ohio State, Nebraska does have that experience. And um, they've, you know, competed in overtime, late in games. They know what it's like. Ohio State doesn't. So we don't know how they're going to respond or handle that. And like you said, a lot of that is coaching. uh, But Coach Day also hasn't had to experience a lot of that either. So I definitely think that's an important part of this game when you look at how prepared are these guys for what they're about to face. Who are, who are a handful of guys that might impact this game for Ohio State that Husker fans might not know about heading in that they should know about? Yeah, well, I think everybody knows Chase Young, Justin Fields, uh, J.K. Dobbins, and even Chris Olave is becoming one of those guys that everybody knows. But I'm actually going to go with Drew Christman, Ohio State punter. Ohio State places so much emphasis on special teams, and I think they've really done an outstanding job on special teams so far, and he leads the way for them. Uh, I know Ohio State has won games on special teams before. Uh, I think Michigan State last year was that game, but controlling special teams is critical for Ohio State, and although you may not see that as much or notice it, I think Drew Christman and what he's able to do on Saturday will really impact this game. On I'm so defense, happy we got punter talk. I love it. I feel like people don't focus on it enough. But, again, I just go back to Ohio State has won games on special teams, and that's those, you know, the punter, the gunner position. Look at what Terry McLaurin did for that gunner position in Ohio State. I mean, he made that position, you know, he made made that what it is, really. Guys want that position on special teams, and they want to make an impact there. So, again, I think just pointing out the punter and special teams is critical. And that's really in Ohio State's plan to win. If you talk to the coaches, you know, what do they do? Stop the run, uh, create turnovers, take care of the ball, and control special teams. Um, so it, it's really critical. But on defense, um, I'll have to go. You know, defense is really hard for me because I think in every game we've seen a different guy really stepping up and, and being that guy. 
on that side of the ball. But I'm going to have to go with Brendan White. Uh, I think look out for that bullet position flying around the field. He's just capable of making plays. And I think when they're facing a quarterback like Adrian Martinez, so mobile uh, and has skill players, the bullets are going to be flying to the ball a lot, a lot. Um, on offense, I would have to say Garrett Wilson. He's just a natural athlete, and when a, when a high state needs a guy to make a, a play or a catch, he's able to do that, and he's been able to do that well so far. Um, the receiver unit you know, is led by guys like K.J. Hill, Austin Mack, Ben Victor, the seniors, but Wilson's a young guy to definitely look out for. What's your prediction for the game? One last question before you get out of here. What's your score? Um, 38-21 Ohio State. Okay. Yeah, I think this will be a fourth quarter game and we'll be back and forth. Uh, but I think the Buckeyes will pull away, and I think defensively they will figure figure things out later on in the game. All right, I've seen a lot of scores in, in that range where it's it's like a seventeen point game, mm-hmm. um, th- high thirties to, to low twenties. Ohio State winning yeah. in the fourth quarter. I've seen, I've seen a lot of that. That's the that's the trendy. There's been a lot of money put on Ohio State with with the two touchdown line being what it is. Yeah, that's just my gut feeling. I always go with gut feelings and and numbers, and, um, you know, we'll see. Really, this is, I think, an exciting game for both of these teams because there are so many unknowns as to, you know, what this matchup will look like. But it'll be a good one, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm very excited. I'm very excited for the atmosphere. I'm excited to see Herb Street and Lee Corso for game day. Uh, Yeah. I guess I will save my prediction for whoever Corso picks, and I will pick the opposite of whatever he says. Um, Caroline, I'm, I'm sure you've got work to do. You're accepting an award this weekend, so congrats on that. Thank um, you. If, 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 you know, on the off chance Nebraska plays Ohio State again later in the season, um, we will have you back on. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah. I will, uh, for anybody that wants to follow Caroline, I will link to her Twitter account on our site. I will link to their website on our site so you can get some Ohio State coverage. And like Aaron said in the open, readhillvarsity.com all throughout the weekend. We will have coverage on football. We'll have coverage on basketball. It's it's the opening night, Friday night, Fred Hoiberg's uh, first official. It, I mean, it's not official. It's a practice. But Fred Hoiberg will be on the court inside PBA, and we'll get our first look at, at what the Huskers look like in a semi-live uh, action. Volleyball is also on the road this weekend. Jacob Adil will have coverage on that. So uh, follow Hill Varsity on all the social channels. RadioVarsity.com, bookmark the page if you haven't already. The podcast is everywhere. I'm not going to list all the places that it is, uh, except for Google Play. That's coming. So subscribe or follow um, wherever you listen to podcasts. So we'll be back next week. Um, thank you to Jeremiah for coming on. Thank you to Caroline for coming on. Thank you to Aaron for coming on, even though I threw her stuff. <laughs> uh, keep listening, keep reading, and we'll talk to you guys next week.